So this week, we're talking about Peter. And um, I want you guys to picture this. Picture you've, you, a picture you've been raised in your particular religious tradition, and it's been grounded in you, like from the day that you were born. And so from very early on, you understood who God was, who God, uh, who God wanted you to be. And you're, you're sitting up there, and, and one day kind of things change, and your life is going pretty okay. Your younger brother comes up to you and says, let's go follow this guy. And you get this inkling from, you don't know where it's from, but you start following the guy. And all of a sudden, you know that you're underneath Roman authority. And you know that the Messiah is coming. And it clicks to you somewhere along the line by following this guy that you are following the Messiah. And as you walk with the Messiah through his ministry, you've seen these wonderful things. In fact, at your house, you saw all sorts of people being healed. Uh, One day, the Messiah, he takes you to this place that was like really, really ungodly that you wouldn't know. And you proclaim that he's the the Messiah. In fact, three of you guys get to see him, what they call transfigured, where it's a really special day where you get to go to the top of a mountain. And you get to see some of the old prophets and you hear God's voice audibly speaking that this is my son whom is well loved and uh, beloved. And you've got to imagine your life is like, wow, I was this little farm kid. I was this little kid from from this small little farm town and I'm a fisherman and I've got this rural background. And then like the apex of it comes, you know that you're walking with the Messiah you know that you're underneath Roman authority and, and the Messiah, he tells you, hey, why don't you go off and get this donkey for me and you guys make preparations and stuff. It's the Passover week, it's Holy Week, and you, you're feeling it. And everything's going, I mean, you're walking in and you're walking next to him. Now, you're not the Messiah, but you're walking next to him. And you're walking in there, they're throwing things at, uh, they're throwing these leaves at your feet and everybody's screaming, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You've remembered all these prophecies, and you've got to be feeling it. I mean, you've got to be thinking, wow, I'm this little kid who came from this, like, farm situation, and I'm walking in. And as he's walking in, I mean, I can imagine what, it's, what it was like. Because he started off in these humble beginnings, not even knowing that the story was the beginning. And here he is. And I can imagine the song that probably went off that during that particular time. Oh, okay, never mind, back up. Oh, okay, obviously, we can't hear the song. It was a song by an artist who was a popular hip-hop artist, and he probably started from these low, low places and beginnings. And then, well, there's a song, came out in 2013, liked it by a guy named Drake, and he probably thought to himself, man, I started from the bottom. Now we're here. And his brother Andrew's with him, his cousins are with him, started from the bottom, now the whole team's here. <laughs> started from the bottom, now we're here. And he was probably like, oh, we made it. We made it. And so he's walking in, we made it, you got the Messiah talking, you know, and they're going through what they're going through. And so here's some of the things that we know. What we know from P- P- about Peter is, is that he, he was not formally educated and came from working class people, and he was a fisherman. He was the older brother of Andrew, who originally followed John the Baptist. But John the Baptist tells Andrew, hey, you you got to go follow this guy I baptized the other day. Andrew gets so geeked up, he's like, brother, dude, you you got to follow this guy. We know that, like, he lived in Capernaum. 
And that's where his house was. In fact, many of the synoptic gospels would suggest that that's where the early ministry of Jesus was. In fact, if you read Matthew and several of the synoptic gospels, a lot of things happened in Capernaum. In fact, one of the earlier miracles we see is that Jesus is coming in and out of Peter's house, and he heals, his, um, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so we know that Peter was, he was very early on and locked into the movement. And I could imagine, you know, Jesus comes up to you, he starts proving himself, you're going to get locked in pretty quick. He was the oldest of the 12. He was at least 20 years old. And we know this because of the temple tax uh, that he needed to pay. And if you guys don't know the story, it's a wonderful, wonderful story where Jesus is teaching in the temple. Because, you know, Jesus does his Jesus thing and he's in the temple and somebody comes up to Peter and he's like, so, so your boy don't pay taxes? Well, he didn't say it like that. He says, the, you know, the Bible says that he went up to himself. Does your teacher not pay the taxes? And then, you know, Peter's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. And then, you know, Jesus in his mastery says, hey, I got this. And he uses it as a teaching moment. And then Peter goes, catches a fish, and says, go pay your taxes and mine. And the temple taxes act was actually meant for those who were counted, uh, who were counted for those who were 20 years or older. So from that, we could glean that Peter was at least 20 years old, while the rest of the guys were a little bit younger. And we also know that he was, like I said before, that he was one of three who saw Jesus transfigured. And he had this traditional view of the Messiah. So let's go to that place where he was with that traditional view of the Messiah, because we're at Holy Week. And it's got to be a strange setting, because he's sitting there. It's Passover time. Jesus is talking, and he's probably talking like they've never heard him talk before. So, I mean, Peter's feeling it. He's feeling it, and he's like, you know, he's already been number one. He's already claimed that he's Messiah. He's had all these lessons, and he's, he's like, oh, I'm about that life. Like, don't, don't get it twisted, Jesus. Like, all these other folks, I got your back. In fact, Jesus even mentions the sword in that final teaching. I mean, I imagine, because he's got this traditional view of the Messiah. And this traditional view of the Messiah was, hey, look, dude, these Romans are here for a little bit, but it's going to be our turn. Not only is it going to be our turn, but we're going to overthrow this, and we as the people of God are going to have our rightful places. And I've seen Jesus do these miracles. I've seen Jesus check the religious authority. I've seen people who were under, uh, who had rightful place over us that, uh, of, at Roman authority come in and subject themselves to Jesus in certain ways. And so I know for a fact that this is our time, and he's talking a certain way, and Peter's feeling it, and he's feeling it, and he's going off. They're all talking and everything, and remember, Remember, Peter is about it. Don't get it twisted. Peter's about it. And during the conversation, Jesus looks at him and he's like, Ayo, Cephas, Peter, pay attention. Before the crow, the, uh, the crow crows, the rooster crows this evening, you're going to die me three, three times. And I know that Peter, in all sincerity, he was like, no, I got your back. I have your back, Jesus. You, you, like, we didn't been to the top of the mountains together. I know you didn't have to check me a couple of times. You didn't use my house. Like, he's locked, stocked, and barreled. He's dialed in. And everything he's been taught about the Messiah, everything he's, he's watched, every, the way he's grown up, has all led to this moment right then and there. Oh, believe me, he had his back. And here's how we know he was not lying when he had his back. See, the scriptures would point to the fact that when Judas came into the garden to uh, betray Jesus, it says, that G, uh, it says that Peter 
like went and cut off the, uh, one of the servant's ears. That means he missed. See, Peter was so bad, he was like, look, Jesus, I got your back. He was willing to kill for it. Like, Jesus was a rider. Jesus was that, that your lock, stock, and barrel. See, Jesus was, I, I don't know, ladies, if you have that friend, but you got to have one. If you were single, and if you ain't got one now, it's probably not good for you. But, but it's, it's, you, know, that, they, they, you know, you got your rider friend. You know that friend that, like, you know, I mean, I don't know if you got your rider friend. See, Peter was your rider friend. Free, Peter was that friend. Ladies, you had that friend when you broke up with somebody. They was like, mm-mm, no, we're going to get him. No, I get it. Especially if they did you wrong. They was like, uh-uh, we're going to his house. We're going to take all his clothes. We're burning up all sorts of stuff right now. Uh-uh, he ain't going to do you like that. You know, like Peter, that, that's your partner. Peter's your folks that, you know, if you come from the hood or you got some ignorant people around you, that, that's Peter. Peter was like, you know what, oh, we're fighting today. We are, they messing with you, we fighting. That's, that was Peter. I'm like, Peter. Peter's the type of person you want on your team. Peter's that, like, that, that lock, stock, barrel, we dumping on everybody. Now, you want Peter on your team because, you know, if Peter's against you, whoo, that's a mess to deal with. And I'm pretty sure Peter was like, dude, we got this. So he was like, okay, the revolution will not be televised, and it starts today. And then you see Jesus say, put your sword away. And I could imagine the disillusionment that occurred. He's like, put the sword away. And what's going on? Like the sword away. Well, hold up, dude. We done done all this other stuff. Put the sword away. And he's watching the Messiah. He's watching this dude he followed for a couple years be taken away. And now all the stuff he's got to go through at that moment, the disillusionment, everything that he was taught at that point, everything that was wrapped in that moment and that time had to feel like a, a particular failure. And then Peter's humanity kicks in. Because at that particular point, he's like, well, if I'm not going to die for him, self-preservation kicks in. And as we know about it, that late night, he's in a courtyard, and they identify him, and he denies Jesus three times. And Luke's gospel says that when he denies him, Jesus looks at him. And I can imagine that look. I can imagine that look must have made him feel oh, shameful because here he was. He had been taught. He had been raised. Everything he knew about the Messiah at that particular point had been in them. He was willing to kill for this man. And all of a sudden, he's denying the same one that he was with. See, what happens when we were taught something, when we were raised a certain way, when we grow up in a particular tradition, when God's given us a particular idea, when we have these particular ways that God has shaped us and folded us and molded us of who we are and who we will be. And God moves us in a different direction. And from this great moment, this great failure, we begin to see Peter's life. And obviously we know the story. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, Jesus like was resurrected. Peter thought he was going to go fishing. And Jesus himself says, hey, Peter, Rocky, Cephas, do you love me more than these? feed my sheep. And he's restoring them. He's like, hey, do you love me more than these? And he's like, yeah, you know I do. And he's like, feed my sheep. And then he tells him again, he's like, Lord, you, you know I love you. And later on, we know that Peter, when it came time to shine, he stands up in front of a whole bunch of people 
And Acts states that later on that day, several thousand were added on to him during that time of Pentecost. And we see Peter come from his greatest failure. We see Peter come from that lowest of low. We see Peter come from that moment where we knew that, that you couldn't possibly, de- where he thought that Jesus, the Messiah, he thought that God was through with him, use him in a great and powerful way. And I would just like to say that if you have chosen to walk and follow Jesus, that you're going to have so many of those moments. That there are going to be so many times in our lives where we think that we've got it, where we think that we're, we're, we're moving in the direction that God has called us to move to, where we think that, hey, we got this. We're all locked, sold, stock, and barrel. Everything that we've been taught, everything that we move to toward this moment, we have prayed. We've done everything that, that God has called us to do in that moment. And we might, well, we might fail. We might fall. We might miss it altogether. But I would tell you or caution you that don't let that be the end of the story. That's only a chapter because that's when we see God work the most. And much like Peter, he uses Peter in this really, really powerful way. And Peter becomes like this, obviously, a patriarch in the church, and he's teaching, and he's building himself up. It says that Peter was was so full of, of, of following Jesus, that they'd walk places and, and people would be healed. And, and everybody's like, oh, that's Peter. He used to walk with Jesus. And, and you can imagine, and everything's going fine. And the church is building up. And he's like, okay, cool. Wait, that's right. He's going to come back. So Peter's doing his thing. They're like, oh, yeah, we're coming back. And one day, he's praying. He's doing his thing. He's been the good Jewish dude that he's always been. He's like, I'm not eating what I'm not supposed to eat. I'm doing the temple. We're teaching this new way. Things are going awesome. Things are going great. I mean, this is awesome. But you know how, like, you know, when things are going great and you get that little sense that some things are about to change, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, you know, you get married and, and then you really get married, you know, like, you know, like you have the wedding day and then like, you know, then marriage sets in, you know, and for you young folk. I'm just letting y'all know, like, you can prepare all you want for a wedding. You're going to have to deal with marriage. And for people, no, marriage is wonderful. It's great. I mean, I love my wife. It's awesome. But you're going to have to deal with marriage. And that's, that's a whole other person. And marriage, marriage make you test. With that being said, I think the marriage kicked in a little bit with uh, Peter. Because he's got to be sitting up there. And you're sitting up there and, you know, God's doing his thing. He's revealing himself to him. And one day, like, God says, hey, get up and eat. And there's this vision and everything. He's like, uh, I, I get up and eat, but you know, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't eat what you, you serve me. You know, that, that, that mm, ribs, bacon, I don't, I, don't, I don't fool with that. And he says, get up and eat. Then he gets up perplexed and some guy comes to his door. And he says, go to this Gentile's house. I think that's when we kind of see a shift in Peter. Because if you come from a tradition where you're taught like, and in fact, you're underneath Roman authority, and you're taught like, hey, the Gentiles, we don't fool with them. And we don't fool with certain people certain ways. And you're watching all your people come to the movement and everything, and then one day, like, God says, hey, go talk to them. I'm pretty sure his mind is wrecked at that point. It would be the equivalent to some people who may be from here in the San Francisco Bay Area 
who were raised extremely, I don't know, politically to whatever you're raised politically to. And then God's saying, move to some place like Boomstick Nowhere, Nevada. <laughs> go to Boomstick Nowhere, Nevada, and I need you to go to these people's houses, and I need you to not only, like, you need to let them know about me, but fellowship with them. It would be like, for those of you who are strong, strong Donald Trump supporters in the house, wherever you are, <laughs> <laughs> God telling you, hey, I need you to not only like, I need you to go to a strong, strong Hillary supporter's house or somewhere like that, and I need you to tell them about the good news. And I know that some inside of you would irk up because you were like, Hillary wasn't trying to make America great again. Like, hold on, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do stuff like that. And here's Peter, and he goes there. Because, you know, he's a good guy, and he's following Jesus. And he starts talking to Cornelius. And as he begins to talk to Cornelius, like, you can see God hit him. And after Cornelius is done talking to him, he says, now in Acts 10, 34, uh, 34, Peter opening his mouth, Peter said, I certainly understand now that God is not no show to partiality, but in every nation, uh, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And I can imagine that Jesus, I mean, Peter's struggle is our struggle. What happens when what we've always been taught, what we've always known, what we've always been comfortable with goes smack dab against what God is calling us to do, who God is calling us to be in that moment? I'd imagine that's, that's just got to be a straight struggle because I really feel like that's just an illustration of Messiah and that's just an illustration of the church. I've discovered as I've read this particular text, what I love about Peter, what I love about Paul, what I actually love about this text is, is a little bit different than our Western culture and our, our society is, is that Peter's not like the best hero. We tend to follow stories where everybody's like the hero. We tend to have stories where everybody writes it and makes themselves look good. But Peter, whoever wrote about Peter, I mean, you'll see Peter's failures. I mean, his, his worst failures, and then he comes up again. And, and then you could see that particular tension. And interestingly enough, when you read the writings of 1 Peter and whoever the uh, author of 2 Peter was, you could still see he has that struggle. We still know that he has this struggle with like, man, I'm, I'm glad God is reaching out to the Gentiles, but he still has that struggle. And we know he still has that struggle. And I'm pretty sure those struggles are compounded on a plethora of things. Like the fact that like, he's not that educated. I mean, if you, I'm, can I be honest for a second? It's hard getting up here. The reason why it's hard getting up here is because if, you know, for those of y'all who are visiting or whatever, Pastor Danielle and Pastor Kevin are really, really smart. I mean, really, they don't, they watch some TV. And for me, as a regular guy who likes to watch like all sorts of TV and whatnot, like I just feel intimidated. I, I, don't, I don't do enough. And so I, like I'm around Kevin and Danielle. I'm just like, 
Yeah, I, I, just, I just feel stupid, like, immediately. They got all sorts of master's degrees and whatnot. And in this church, oh, some of y'all are fronting right now. Some of y'all are absolute geniuses and whatnot. We got authors and whatnot here. I mean, all sorts of people, PhDs from Stanford and whatnot, Santa Clara students, Stanford students. You guys make me feel stupid. I went to a small school called Menlo College. Where is that? Who's heard of that place? The only reason why some of y'all know about it is because I told you about it. You don't really know about it. <laughs> like, like, y'all think, oh, this is a great place. I'm like, I didn't go to no big name school or whatnot like that. And that insecurity plays with me constantly. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then Kevin and Danielle say, hey, go up there and teach. I'm like, I don't know no big words. And God forbid, I love Omer. And well, that's my people. That's my cousin and whatnot. But Jesus, help me. <laughs> that brother, whoa. Like, like, you go to his house, he got these books. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd I feel so stupid. Like, you know, and I know I shouldn't feel stupid. I shouldn't even be admitting this right now. But, you know, like, I just, I just, I feel dumb. And I can imagine that's where Peter was. Like, he feels constantly stupid. So then you got him, you got this, you know, you got this, like, inadequacy with your education. Somehow you're leading this great group of people. And then, but you're not too far from your roots. And you know, because Paul puts him on blast. Like, you know the story. Like, Peter's out there. He's like, okay, I'm feeling kind of comfortable with the the, uh, the Gentiles, and they're doing their thing, and he's kind of eating with them, hanging out with them. And then one day, Peter's, and then some Jews come back from the hometown he's from, some of the elders, and, and he's like, I, I don't know what to think. And, and before some of y'all be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. No, you guys know, don't. Some of y'all been in college or right out of high school, because some of us was raised certain ways. And if you weren't raised certain ways, God bless you. But you know some of y'all, when you first like the first time your parents gave you some freedom, like if you ever went to, if you went to school far away. Now, some of y'all are super saved. Y'all been saved from the time you was little. Some of y'all wasn't always so saved because some of y'all, the moment you stepped on the campus, the moment you, you was like, whoa, if my parents could see me now, you was doing things that you was like, oh no. Like, you know that if your parents could see you, you know, if my friends back home could see me, my mama would kill me or my daddy would kill me or whatever. And I'm pretty sure those insecurities played in. And that's where Peter was, because he was like, I'm kicking it with the Gentiles. Hey, ribs for everybody, bacon. Ah, ah, oh, oh, no, because could you imagine that? Like, you know, I'm going to go off topic. Someone bring me back. But you know, like, like, you ever been someplace, like, wilding? Because I don't know, like, you ever seen that? Were you wilding out? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, a relative or somebody sees you in that moment, you know, like, you just get convicted. Like, ooh, dang. You, and you're not even doing nothing wrong. Like, you know, like, like Peter was doing something wrong. It's not like he was, like, really wilding out. He was just like, oh, dang, what would they think? And he was probably really concerned about what people would think. And I, I know for a fact that those people who have influence on us, he was probably concerned, like, what would they think? And they show up, and he starts flipping the script a little bit. And then you go, your boy, Paul, super educated. I mean, Paul, I mean, Pharisee among Pharisees, educated underneath Gamaliel. And, you know, he's like, hey, hey, uh, uh, hey, real recognized look real? And you looking real fake right now. I don't, some don't smell right. And he puts them on black. It, well, he don't say it like that. You know, Paul puts it eloquently in a letter and says that I had to, you know, call him on his behavior. But I just recognize it because I, I get it. He wasn't keeping it honey. He wasn't real. He was like, hold on, how are you going? Because he, he, he pretty much said this. So let me get this straight, Peter. So, all right, when the Gentiles are one way, because, you know, I don't know if you ever had Christian friends. Like, none of you guys have ever been like this. Did you ever, like, act a certain way in front of your, your church people? But then, like, in front of your non-church people, you act a certain way? 
So I think that's how it was. And, 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 Paul, and Paul was like, hey, hey, no, it don't work like that, dude. This grace works for everybody. And actually, that's why we need the pause on our lives to, to keep us on, uh, like that. And there goes this other moment. Again, what Peter knew, what he felt, what he knew in that moment, and here you have God deconstructing that right then and there. And I can imagine that, that that's where, where we, that's that tension that we kind of always feel. When God calls you to something, when you're so certain of whatever it is that God has called you to in that moment, and you, you, you know it, you've done the research, you've done everything, you, you've been raised up a certain way, and then God's like, yeah, we're going to do something different. And there's that constant tension of what you know and even the construct of where we've made God in our head to be and where God is calling you, and then he calls us to go even more. And I believe that that tension is constantly always there. And if you wrestle with that tension, I honestly believe that you are a human being and that you are alive. And that, that that's where we should be as a church. That's where the church should be. It should be very, very uncomfortable. But because we have a Messiah in Jesus that is constantly pushing us towards him, constantly raising the bar, constantly pushing us to be better, that it should be uncomfortable for us to, to be in, in fellowship with some people who diametrically oppose us. But we, we shouldn't stop us. We should still have hope because that struggle is real. That struggle is real. I, I tell you right now, I, I come from an Afrocentric kind of nationalistic background. Pops was trying to fool with the Black Panthers and everything. Grew up in, in Compton during the uh, crack era during the 80s. And, you know, like love hip hop was like exclaimed. That's why Kanye, uh, I mean, sorry, Kendrick Lamar is just refreshing to me and all that other good stuff. So you see certain things and you're like, wow. So you kind of grow up a certain way and then, you know, kind of bought into the Christianity being a white man's religion and all that other good stuff. But you know, Jesus, he saved me and all the other good stuff. So, but I, I still haven't got too far from that base yet. That's why I'm like, this church is really awesome. Cause you know, like Pastor Danielle uses her privilege to say things that I wish I could say out in public, but I just can't, you know, so go ahead and use that privilege. Um, <laughs> you just get away with things, you know. Um, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, every person of color knows that, you know, when you got blonde hair and you pretty, you can say things that others of us just can't say. <laughs> and so <laughs> use it. And so it's awesome. But then I know for a fact that if God says, hey, I'm going to still struggle with you know, because I know that the body of Christ is bigger than me, if I had to be in fellowship with like, a, well, actually not a, a Make America Great Again person, I kind of I get them. But what if like a Richard Spencer who leads like white nationalism walked in the room? I, 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 I don't know if I'm saved enough yet. I, just, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I, I can be honest. I don't know if I'm saved enough yet. I just don't know that if he says something crazy or whatever like that, you know what? I'm sick of your bull. And just, I, you know, get my bail money ready. Get my bail money ready. That's all I'm telling you. Get my bail money ready. <laughs> like, I, just, I just don't know. I don't know if you have, the, you know, because you got some, if you got those deep, deep conservative or deep, deep liberal friends, they just irk you and they push you and they pull you. And you're like, hey, you know what? If I didn't love Jesus, I'd choke the mess out of you. You know, like type person, you know, but I'm thoroughly convinced, though, that that's where God is calling the church and God is calling us to be. He's calling us to to like Peter, dude, like what we've learned, where we've been, where we were, where we were at. He's saying like, hey, you, you got to go further because there's always that consistent struggle of like, I think I got it. I think I got it. 
And then, well, it's where we are and where God calls us to be. And he's constantly calling us to go higher. He's constantly calling us to, to go to another place. And we can see this tension reflected in, in Peter's writing where, interestingly enough, you see John and Peter who were writing pretty much kind of to the same audience in Asia Minor. I see Peter's uh, conservative kind of roots, where he comes from, still re- really reflected. He's saying, hey, look, I know that we exist in Roman culture and everything, but the best way that we could uh, get along is by being the best ourselves that we can be. And he's, he's giving orders to church and, and saying, I mean, to the churches and saying, wives submit to husbands and, and all that other good stuff. And that's not the word. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not saying that because submission, submit yourselves one to another or anything like that. I'm just letting you know that if you got that word in your head that you went to church today and you told your wife, submit to me, you didn't get that from me. Uh, <laughs> nope. But what he's trying to say overall is that, hey, look, you, we live in Roman culture, right? And one of the things we can do is, as best we can, observe and live lives in a way, in a conduct that, although contrary to what's going on, draws people to us. And then you got your boy, John. John, the youngest of the disciples, John is like, you know, maybe because he was on an island or whatever, he's like, bump that, dude. Like, it's this constant, this is what I love about the text. This is what I love. You see their, 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 their personalities come out. Because you see John, he's like, look, whatever Roman, bump that. It's all Jesus all the time. I'm Jesus 1,000%, like to the very end. So, you know, if you ain't following Jesus a certain way, I don't care what they say about you, what you look like, you following Jesus, whatever. And so there's this tension. And I can imagine, what is that tension? Like, how do I live in a culture that, like, it's constantly pushing and pulling. Like, where do I go when it's like, ah, ah, where you're constantly moving from one thing to another? Like, how do, I, how do I navigate this? Like, how do I navigate going to a church that is incredibly liberal, that goes to, uh, but yet has certain conservative values, but yet, like, I go to church in a Jewish synagogue? Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, how do we navigate the fact that, like, some of your closest friends or closest partners like, have a total different worldview from you, and you might like it, and you might entertain the fact that, like, wow, me and this person who are, like, this person who, who observes Islam, we actually have way more in common than I think. What happens when me and the person who's, like, an orthodox person, whatever their fundamentalism is, and I, I actually might agree with that, and yet... I go back to hearing Paul, but it's for freedom who set us free. See, that struggle was real. That tension is always going to be there. And I would argue with you, and I would hold, I would almost hint at that when you live in that tension, when you live in that struggle, it's a sign that you are alive. And you, what, what happens when that occurs? That you are probably being in the place that God has called you to be. That you're where you're supposed to be in that moment. And I really feel that the writers of, of John and, and, and Peter and Jude and Paul, it's like they're so open to the fact that our faith, which is very, very real, is also subjective. And it's almost as if they're writing, their insecurities come out on paper and everything. And it's almost as if they're saying, dude, I know it's this way, but I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to being pushed. I'm open to moving in a different direction. Because I... I, I know what it's like when, 
when you, you have that conversation with the first person, because if you may have grown up with people who they tell you that, that people who, who uh, are in the LGBT community are bad, and you have that first, second, third, fifth thousand conversation with those who follow Jesus, and they follow Jesus, you're like, man, you know the word better than I do. And you're like, wow, this is so different. Or that person who, like, is out there, and all your life you've been moralized that people who do drugs or or people who do these horrible things or are bad people, these moral behaviors. Maybe they cheated on their spouse or whatever it is like that, and you get hurt and angry, and you're mad and upset, and you're told that they're bad, and then all of a sudden you, that person shows up in your family. What happens when the, the uh, opioid epidemic hits home? What happens when, like for, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, in the uh, crack era, like we had relatives I don't know many people who grew up in certain cities that didn't know someone who was on crack. But you're told it's bad and this tension of, but they're actually kind of cool. Well, actually, they are pretty cool. You know, you got to protect yourself. You know, if you got a relative on drugs, you know, don't give them money all the time, but you know. But they're not that bad, that tension. What happens when that person who locks stock and barrel believes in make America great again is also this loving, tender kind-hearted person who politically you can't stand them, and the, the, the election caused you to feel some type of way about them, but God's saying, move closer. And I honestly believe that God is calling us as not just like an individual body with spark, but as a body as a whole to keep moving closer, to, 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 to move there, and that we will always live with that tension. Because I, I truly believe, like, there's that meme out there, that struggle, well, the struggle is real, but the hope is still alive. <laughs> the struggle is real, but our hope is in Jesus. The struggle is real, but, like, as God keeps pushing us and causes us to go closer, that struggle, well, it's there, and it lies within all of us. And it's going to happen to us in other areas of our lives. For some of us, it may be vocationally. See, for the longest time, I thought that, like, I was supposed to be a pastor because, like, that's what good Christians do. And I went to a large church and ended up working there, and I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to be a pastor. And then, like, well, some things happened where I wasn't vocationally a pastor anymore, so I wasn't getting paid for it. And then God says, yeah, you're going to coach. And I was cool, but now I'm like, ooh, that's my calling. But I'm going to be real transparent. I'm kind of scared that if God says, hey, do something else, I might not be wanting to do it because I absolutely adore and love the ministry and the, the, the women that I coach now. And some of us are in situations where we absolutely love and adore what we do now. And God might be saying, hey, it's great. I know I called you to it, but you've got to go somewhere else. And I think there's always going to be that tension, whether it be relationally whether it be the family members, whether it be who it is, but we're always going to live on that tension of like where we are, who God has called us to be, what we know, and then where God is taking us and where God is going uh, and where you're going. And if you live in that place, I think that our hearts are open and in a wonderful, wonderful place to where we can hear God. Well, and that also means it's my time. <laughs> Just had to do that, especially since that's not the edited version of that song. So, <laughs> just 
Got to be real. <laughs> okay. So as I uh, get to close, hopefully we can observe Peter's life and take from him his life lessons. Is that we're always going to struggle with that certainty of what we knew, how we grow up, kind of what we thought about people, and then where we and where we're going. But it's in that place, it's in that tension. I think is is that there where we see God the most, from our highs to our lows. In that tension is where we're going to meet God the most, and we'll probably see at the end when we get there. So let's pray, Jesus. I thank you for each and every person here, and I pray that we could follow the patriarch of uh, Peter. Lord, that there are some people right now that, that are arcing our nerves, that there's some situations that are bothering us because we seem so sure of what you have us in right now, and you're pushing us in a different direction. And so hopefully we can have the humility that Peter has and, and just take that next step forward. And ultimately, it's just about us being a little bit more like you, reflecting you, and being a little bit more like who you've called us to be. And I ask that you would just be with each and every person as they travel throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.